We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Titus chapter 2. I got the, the opportunity to teach this in, in Cambodia when we went on that trip uh, not too long ago, so hope you guys are blessed by it, and uh, we'll see what the Lord does, okay? Um, let me catch you guys up a little bit. In, the, in chapter 1, wow, that was loud. Is that too loud? All right. In chapter 1, Paul gives Titus some instructions, uh, uh, encourages him, uh, first of all, calling him a son and a fellow servant of the Lord. Uh, Titus was a, a convert of, of Paul. Paul's ministry, Paul uh, led Titus uh, in a relation with the Lord. We don't. Other than that, we don't have a lot of uh, details about Titus as far as you know, uh, you know anything else. Very little. But Paul speaks very highly of him, uh, calls him a brother, and um, you know Paul and Titus are, are connected in their service to the Lord. Uh, other than him being a Greek and uh, the mentioning of him in Second Corinthians and in the Book of Galatians, like I said, we don't know really a whole lot about him. But Paul really trusted him, trusted him so that he left him in. in on an island called Crete, uh, verse 5 in uh, chapter 1. It's, I think that's verse 5. Is it verse 5? Yes. Um, it says that uh, he was to set in order the things that are lacking in, in the churches there and to appoint elders, um, another word for, for overseer. And the qualifications uh, they list there in verses 6 through 9, um, Titus was to look for in an overseer. Um, and at the end of the chapter, he gives Titus a, a strong warning uh, to uh, people coming in the church, uh, back then the homes, uh, and teaching things that they shouldn't be, you know, to, for their own profit. Uh, false teachers that we uh, kind of warn churches about today, uh, warning them um, that their life, that their mouths should be stopped. You know, in that last verse, it says that they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable disobedient and disqualified for every good work. Uh, crazy that Paul would mention that, but it's very uh, something we should be afraid of, right? People coming into the church and teaching things that they shouldn't be, uh, getting in the way of the work of Jesus Christ, uh, wolves in sheep clothing as we describe them, um, but you're supposed to rebuke them sharply. And I know it was a strong warning back then for Titus, but it continues to be a warning for us today, only for our own protection and the protection of uh, other brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but we have to watch out for them, right? Uh, Paul tells uh, all these details about the false teachers, but then there's a sudden turn in the teaching. Paul's focus turns to Titus and what he should be uh, looking for. So we'll uh, begin in verse 1 of chapter 2. Everyone there? On chapter 2, and then we'll read uh, verses 1 through 8 first. Let's start. This is but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love and patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not giving too much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent 
may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Pretty, pretty hard uh, couple of verses there. Um, but um, he tells Titus, uh, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, he tells Titus. Paul puts things pretty simple for Titus to te- teach things that are good, um, to teach things that are sound, which means to be well, to be of good health. Teach people that uh, that will build people up. Teach people things that will build them up, that will heal, that will encourage others in, on a spiritual level. Um, Pastor Chuck said this, says, if a church does not have sound doctrine, it's not a church. And here's the way it's kind of defined. It says, Christians whose opinions are free from any mixture of error against the word of God. Uh, the word uh, that jumped out to me is opinion. Everyone has an opinion about things, right? Opinion about a lot of things. Um, now, the word opinion means a view or what you think uh, of this or that. And what I think and what you think of things really uh, are personal view of things um, can cause a lot of trouble, right? It can cause a lot of trouble what we think. Usually not always, but when I'm asked a, a view of, of something, um, what I think, you know, I try to think of what God's view is of, of the situation, right, of what his opinion might be. If the Lord had, had total control of my mouth, which he should, right? If he had total control of my mouth, what would he say? What would he say? Um, but that doesn't always happen with me, right? Uh, sometimes I say, well, um, well, you know what I think or you know what I would do instead of what the Lord would do or what the Lord would say. Um, his view is what should be coming out of our mouths. His teaching should come out of our hearts. You know, sometimes a personal experience also speaks to people, right? Things that we've gone through. Uh, to help others um, in their situations, you know, because we go through the same thing sometimes, right, as, as brothers and sisters. But more often than not, it's his word that, that, that goes into someone, that penetrates their hearts, and to, that heals people, uh, which I think is so cool. Uh, with God's words, we can't go wrong, right? With God's words, we cannot go wrong. Uh, we'll have uh, the comfort that God's touching them, and it'll also keep us humble as well. It'll keep us uh, dependent on God's word, and not our own words, because, you know, we don't want to lift ourselves up or anything saying, you know, how I helped this person out. It should be how the Lord helped this person out in every way. Um, so the first verse, Paul tells Titus to teach them good things, teach them godly things. Speak to them the things that I would teach them. And uh, if you can write this reference down to 2 Timothy verses, chapter 1, verses 13, verse 13. It says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Jesus Christ. So now in verses 2 and 3, Paul, Paul tells Titus how or what to teach to older uh, people. There's no older people here. Everyone's under 30, right? All right. <laughs> Especially the ladies. <laughs> All right, verse 2 and 3. It says, The older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent, in behavior, not slanderers, not giving too much wine, teachers of good things. Uh, older men. Uh, I remember uh, the only example I have of older men is my gran- grandpa, right? Pretty stern guy. Um, pretty, uh, I don't whenever you talk to him, um, it seemed like he was kind of upset, usually. Uh, but I, I don't know, it's, it's okay, it's cool, you know, it's... Uh, I think he uh, deserves some respect on my part, right, as, as his grandchild. Uh, but that's what I remember, older man, my grandpa. 
the word, the word older means uh, exactly what it means. It means uh, elderly, a senior, to be far advanced, advanced in age. Both of these things that Titus was to teach the older men and the older women kind of go together to kind of intertwine. Uh, they both are to be sober, like it says there. Sober primarily meaning uh, not given too much wine, but also should extend to their uh, whole lifestyle as well. Uh, to be careful in all areas of, of, of conduct. Another meaning for, for sober is serious. Uh, to take life seriously, not to live casually, just because they're they're older, uh, doesn't mean uh, to take the years um, they have left lightly. You know, to lead a good life that isn't against the, the word of God. To be reverent, which means to be respected. You guys respect old, older people, older than you. I hope you do, um, because they deserve it um, um, most all the time. Now, most all the time they do. Uh, that means to be respected or respectable, maybe because of the things they've done or accomplished, but mostly because of their wisdom and character that they have because of their older age, the things they've gone through. They know more than you do, probably, or, or than I do. Uh, reverend in behavior, to have stability, to be stable in the right things, to be strong in the good things, to have a life that has strength in every way. Uh, they must live with the maturity and wisdom that their years should have given them. You know, the older men should be sound in faith. They uh, should really represent Jesus Christ in, in their lives. Um, they should know what they believe in, just like we should. Uh, all, the, all these qualities kind of go through all of us. Right? Even though he's speaking to older men here and older women, they should uh, pertain to all of us. It shouldn't be a mystery of what they believe in. What they say uh, and do should represent the Lord. Uh, that word temperate in verse... Verses and verse two, right? Verse temper in verse two. It means to have a sound mind, to put away their own desires, uh, to put away their own sinful desires, to be self-controlled, and to get in everything they have to glorify the Lord first. The older men are to live in love and in patience. Uh, love, love is a, is a humongous word. Love is a big action. Uh, to show love means somewhat means a lot to, to people. Uh, when you show a person love, it's probably the strongest witness you can have. When you show love to somebody, has ever, someone ever loved you? If you're a man, as a, as a man ever showed you love in that way, as a brother in the Lord, it makes a big difference, right? To be there for you whenever they can, and, and the ladies as well. Uh, when you show love to that person, uh, you can be kind, you can be generous, but love kind of goes over all those things. You guys agree? It goes over all those things. Uh, if you ever want to really have a chance uh, in bringing someone to the Lord, someone leading someone to Christ, love's going to do it. Love will do it. Um, the love of Jesus Christ is so powerful. You know, patience is also a hard thing. Um, I got four kids, so patience is it's coming along. Uh, <laughs> but here in verse two, that that word patience means uh, it means like an active endurance. It's like not quitting. Um, not a, not a, not a passive waiting. You know, older men are to be, are not just uh, patiently uh, wait around until the Lord takes them home. Uh, they are to actively actively, you know, live for the Lord. Which I pray that I I do when I when I get older. If the Lord tarries, that I use those times, you know, and if the Lord wills to retire and to come serve the Lord uh, wherever He wants me to. But never never to to just wait. Um, but to actively serve him, no matter what age I am. 
uh, to endure the challenges in life. Uh, so many things happen in us, to us in our lives. So many trials, right? So many, so many things that happen, uh, hardships. But as we get older in the faith, this also means to endure those trials well also. To, as we grow as Christians, we should be growing in our reaction to certain things. You understand? Um, you know, not being tossed back and forth by the things that happen uh, to us or even others. This is another another way to be sound in the faith. We can say uh, we, we can say all these biblical verses and things, but when a trial comes, you know we're totally different. That shouldn't be right. We should be we should try to be the the same in our walk. Yeah, we should. I remember um, when I first gave my life to the Lord. It's crazy things were happening. I, I never. Um, I don't think I ever questioned the Lord, but I wonder why things happened. Um, you know, why things were going wrong so fast. And, uh, you know, I, I never really, um, you know, got all crazy outwardly, but internally, right? You know, I always had these questions for the Lord. And uh, not that I've gotten, you know, perfect, but I, I hope you can say that too, that when things happen, you know that the Lord's doing something. You know the Lord wants to get your attention. You know the Lord wants to use you in people's lives. Uh, he will use it for good, right? As long as we uh, stay close to him. You know, as we as we tend to get older, we tend to harden in some ways, right? Um, I pray I don't do that, but we, uh, I think as Christians, we need to harden in, in the spiritual things, right? In faith and, and in hope and in, and in love and in patience. We should be examples of those things as we, as we grow older in the Lord. And one commentator put it like this. Says, those, are, those that are full of years should be full of grace and goodness. The inner man renewing, renewing more and more as the outer man gets older or woman gets older. That the older woman have... Uh, the older woman have a few more things that, that Titus is told to teach them about. It says, older, older women are not to slander, not to be false accusers. The word slander is a word also used to describe who? Satan, right? Slander. The word in the Greek is diablos, and this is also a reference to, to gossip. You guys know what gossip is, right? Speaking bad about people. Uh, the word diabolos means the prone to slander, slanderous, accusing falsely. Can be applied to men or women today. Agreed? Who by opposing the cause of God may be said to act the part of the devil or to side with him. Matthew Henry said this. This is a slander is one whose tongue is set on the, on the fire of hell. So much do these do the devil's work. By their words, they associate themselves with Satan. Talking about others, slandering others, uh, gossiping about others is the work of the devil. You know, women are always categorized as people who do this kind of thing and do it also. I, I work with a bunch of men, uh, and, and it goes on there as well. Um, I know the media has, has played a big part to, to put the lady on the phone talking about people, right? Um, but Paul, you know, specifically tells Titus here to teach the older women about this. And um, so I guess it, it has some evidence there. Uh, be, of it being a struggle for women. You know, some women have, uh, more than others, have this thing where their their conversation takes them where it shouldn't be. You know, right with right right there where they shouldn't be. You know, I get this picture of, of, of holding hands with somebody. 
You know, I always tell my kids to hold, hold their, each other's hands because I want them to go to the same place, right? But when we gossip, when I, you know, gossip, um, guess whose hand I'm holding? Holding Satan's hand, right? Because um, he wants me to go there. A place where I shouldn't be. When you're slandering someone or gossiping about someone, um, it's a bad thing. We need to be careful with our conversations, men and women alike, or else we can be used by Satan. And gossip can tear churches apart or tear, tear friends apart, tear families apart, tear anything apart. Gossip can. I'm sure we could all remember a situation in our lives where someone said this, someone said that, and I went to this person, I went to that person, and it just got bad. I remember in high school, I used to go on, just from classroom to classroom, just went all the way around. And uh, awful things happen, like I said, when people slander each other, especially in the church, where we shouldn't be slandering. When we use scripture in our conversation, who are we talking for? The Lord, right? When we slander, we are, we are speaking for, for our enemy. It's a scary thing. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing we need to be, be aware of. The last thing the older, older women are taught to do is to teach or admonish the younger women to do certain things. Let's read verses 4 and 5. Four and five again. It says, Then they, that they admonish the younger women, the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Titus was going on to teach the younger. Titus was going to teach the younger women in a formal setting, right? But he really wasn't supposed to, just like pastors today aren't supposed to teach younger women on a one-on-one basis. That's what the women's ministry is for, right? Uh, Cindy's not old, though. She's young, right? <laughs> She's a young lady. <laughs> but just those opportunities that we have as, as, we, uh, as the Lord uses us um, to teach, to teach people that, that need it. Um, it was just better and wiser that the older women on a more one-on-one basis teach uh, the younger women. The proper behavior is, uh, of Christian women. Older women are, are to be teachers of good things, of good things. Uh, one commentator, Matthew Henry, said this. says, Teachers of good things are opposed to teachers of things corrupt or of what is trifling or vain, of no good use or tendency, old wives' fables or superstitions, saying, sayings and observances, contrary to what God has called them to be. And older women may be called to do this, to be teachers of good things. They are to teach younger women to love their husbands, and also to love their children, to love the people in their home, to love the people they see the most, to love the people who probably hurt them the most, to love the people who probably take them for granted the most. Uh, I know wives have a great calling in their positions um, that the Lord has given them. Uh, they may, may be used uh, greatly, greatly in their home, and the main motivation is what? It's love, right? It's love. Uh, the love that they show their husbands and children will really, really be given from the Lord. It has to be from the Lord, right? To show love to to them. Not that they're bad or anything, but <laughs> because it's sometimes hard in the home, right? It's very difficult in the home, but God uses a home for for His work as a witness to to people. Um, it's a calling, though. It's a, it's a big calling that wives have then and now. And they have a, a, the supernatural way of doing things. 
I know one of them is showing love to, to your husband and your children. Um, by the things you do around the home. Everything. My wife does everything. <laughs> they are called to be discreet, which means the same things as, thing as temperate, to be self-controlled, to have control over their selfish desires and impulses. They are to be chaste, pure from carnality, modest in behavior and in what they wear, faithful to their husbands and families, and the, the, they are to be homemakers. Pretty simple. Uh, they are to be at home taking care of their home and all of its affairs and their occupation at home. Very hard topic nowadays, right? Working in the home or to be at home than in the workforce, the ladies. But the Word of God hasn't changed, right? It doesn't change. Uh, it's usually us that change or us that, that uh, do what we want to do. You know, many families are struggling because mom isn't home. Many marriages are struggling because the mom or wife isn't home. God, I'll always, I'm sure you guys think this is well, God knows best. God knows best for your family and for your wife and for you as a husband and for your, your kids too. And, and one of the biggest things is for the wives to be at home. One of the biggest things is the wives to be at home. Sometimes financially, uh, financially um, married women have to go work. Totally understandable, but that shouldn't be a place, um, a permanent thing. It shouldn't be a permanent thing. A family should work hard to where the mom and the wife could stay home. Um, I pray, and I think my wife prays too, that she never has to go to work. But, you know, it's okay to have two jobs, right? I think I would. I hope I would if if we if it gets to that point, um, because I know I'm not sure how my kids would would do it without her being home. Uh, I don't know where we put them. <laughs> Childcare is expensive, right? Uh, daycare, but um, it's just the best place, right? And then uh, the word good, right there in verse uh, verse five, it says good. It just means to be a benefit, to be a benefit to their husbands, a benefit to their to their families, which I think most wives are, all wives are, to be a benefit. Wives are be, to be a benefit to their family, their husbands, like I said, obedient to their own husbands, plain and simple, to give the husband the authority that God has given them, uh, to be supportive of, of his position, not trying to lead in any way, uh, to respect him as a husband. Jay Vernon McGee, you guys know who he is? J. Vernon McGee, he, uh, he said there was this, almost like another definition for o- obedient. He said, um, being those that respond to their husbands, that respond to their husbands. Uh, if you love your wife, she will respond to you and, and, and do the things that Lord, the Lord has called them to do. I think sometimes husbands just make it harder. I think I make it harder for my wife sometimes to to be a wife that the Lord has called her to be. Um, but when I love her and I show her, show her that uh, unconditional love, she will react, right? Um, uh, Jay Vernon McGee gave a story about this, this man who came up to him and he said, Pastor McGee, you need to tell my wife to obey me and to submit to me. And he called him boy. You know, his accent said, boy, he's like, 
when's the last time you told her you loved her? And he said, I can't remember. And he said, don't come back until you do. Don't come back until you do. And he had that. He's an older man, so he, he could tell this guy that. He could probably tell me that too. But um, it's that reaction, right? I remember uh, oh, my wife's here. So I, 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 told you guys, I told the first service, but I remember who says I love you first? Honest. Usually the, the men, right, or the boyfriend, right? Uh, I remember I told my wife I loved her first, right? She didn't say anything back. <laughs> back. <laughs> but usually that's the way it goes, right? The husbands love and the wives react to that. Um, I think it, it's, it's God's plan and the way it should be. Kind of funny. Um, but some husbands make it hard for women to, to live out their life. Um, but all these things young women and young wives are to do uh, is for one main reason, right? Not so other wives can admire them, not so they can get an award for the cleanest house or the best-smelling children. Let's read why they're called to do these things. Verse 5, the last part of verse 5 says that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Another translation of the Bible says to do all these things... um, that they will not bring shame to the word of God. Um, people who don't know the Lord or, or people who are against our beliefs, um, they'll watch us, right? If we say we're Christians, if we say we're followers of Jesus Christ, they will watch. And if there isn't a difference in how we act or how we talk or the way we live our lives, um, it gives them a reason to speak evil of the God that we serve. We all have a great calling all of us, no matter what age we are, to represent Jesus Christ in every way we can. You know, may, we not, may we not give a people a chance to insult or attack uh, the God we serve. I forgot to mention back in, um, in verse 4, that word admonish, it means to teach, but it also um, means to restore someone, to control or to moderate um, to his or her duty, to exhort earnestly. The older woman or to hold the younger women uh, accountable. And that's where the, the women ministries, women's ministry comes in again. Uh, they are to keep uh, and almost an eye on each other to make sure if, uh, or to teach uh, the discreet, the chaste, and, and if they're going, if they're being good and obedient to their husbands because of what's at stake mostly, right? Because of what's at stake. God's word is, and God's name is at stake. Um, Pretty cool, though, huh, that the women get to do that and the men get to do that, too. Um, but the last, last but, not, but not least, um, Titus is going to teach the young men what to do or how to be. It's not, not long. Verse 6. It says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. Another translation says, uh, To urge young men to behave carefully and to take life seriously. This is the only command that Titus is told to, to emphasize to the young men, but sometimes a difficult one for younger men. When I look at men, uh, generally they're, they're carefree. What do you guys see with younger men? They just want to chillax, right? To stay home and bug mom after they graduate high school. Uh, there, there's, there's so many things that uh, we could be teaching the young men. But to live, um, to be sober-minded, 
to be to take life seriously is probably the, the main thing we should be doing. If Titus could get the young men to live life life responsibly, to take life seriously, it would be to the benefit of the name of God. Being sober-minded also means to put aside one's passions, as we went over before, to put aside your own selfish desires, as we're supposed to as Christians. Again, only one command, but a very important command for the younger men, to live sober-minded. Um, you know, I hear a lot of stories at work where, you know, guys graduate high school, and like I said before, they just kick it at home. They don't know what to do. Like, um, and nowadays, I mean, they've, it's gotten a little tougher, but young men have a lot of things they can choose from, right? Go to school, get a job, uh, work hard. Um, kind of gets me a little upset when I hear stories like that um, because of the, the things that the Lord has put in my heart to teach my, my kids and my sons, you know, to get life going, to be responsible, to go to get a job, go to school, to move out, you know, start your own life serving the Lord. Um, to live responsibly. And I pray that, that when my sons get to that age, they're only they're small still, so I get a lot of time to pray. But I pray they have a desire to work. I pray that they have a desire to work hard, to start their own life, to, to get married, to give us some grandkids, right? Um, to live life seriously, to do what the Lord has called them to do. And if they don't, you know whose fault this probably is? It's probably my fault, right? I haven't taught them well. Mm. You know, after after Paul um, gives all this instruction to Titus on what he's supposed to teach others, he turns the tables and, and tells Titus how he's supposed to act, how he's supposed to live his life. So let's read verses 7 and 8 again. Verse 7 and 8. It says, In all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. In all things, he was to be a pattern of good works. It doesn't say some things. It says all things. A big calling for Titus um, as a leader of the people there, in the churches, in the homes, in Crete. But if God called him to do it, who was going to help him? The Lord, right? The Lord was going to help him do that and to live a life that showed a pattern of good works. Also uh, means to be a model. Um, he's supposed to be an example to the people. In every way, uh, and our pastor is a model, right? Not, I mean, not that kind of model, but he, he's a good example, a good example to us in how he leads his life and how he speaks and how he uh, uh, does things, right? We're so blessed by, by our uh, Manny, our pastor Manny. Um, but in doctrine, what the Bible says, like it says right there, uh, to have integrity in living for the Lord, to believe in what the Bible says, and to Stay on that road of righteousness, Titus is supposed to do. To be reverent, to be incorruptible, which means uh, people can influence you to do wrong. To have sound speech, words that reflect what he's teaching. What he's teaching, he's supposed to live. Like when I teach the kids over here, if they see me doing crazy things, it won't make any sense, right? It won't make any sense. Um, Titus is to live a life um, like this for the purpose of not giving anyone a chance to say anything bad about him. As a teacher, as a teacher of his word, anyone who is in opposition to Titus, that, that they may be ashamed or to be turned away um, by his life, just his life, that he's called to live. Paul goes on to tell Titus how to teach the, the bond servants in the day how to act with their masters. Let's read verses 9 and 10. It says, exhort 
bond servants to be obedient to their masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all, in all things. You know, the, the slave subject always kind of tripped me out. People owned other people. Kind of a crazy thing. Um, we could imagine how some of the slaves were treated back in this time. Hopefully the, the believers here treated their uh, slaves the way the Lord wanted them to, respected them. It's just kind of a crazy thing for me to think about. And some reading, uh, uh, some reading some of the background uh, passages uh, in the Bible that talk about slaves, they mention that uh, you know some slaves were lived had a better lifestyle than others. You know, some had like really bad ones, some had uh, better ones. Um, but Titus was to teach these slaves to honor and to respect their masters, not stealing from them, um, showing them faithfulness. But the most important thing is that they were that they were to do in these verses was that they were to wear or to adorn the message of Jesus Christ uh, in what they believe in. They were constantly to be an example to their masters in everything that they do, um, in everything. You know, whenever I hear this section or other sections about slaves and masters taught, what do pastors usually apply this to? The uh, bosses and employees, right? It's kind of like the um, a more... Uh, like a modern-day teaching, I guess. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I understand the application behind it, how we're uh, supposed not supposed to steal as an employee and not to disrespect our employers. You know, don't give them attitude. Uh, being a representative of Christ to them, yeah, I totally understand, and, and I agree with with that. But where, where I get stuck at is that word bondservant. Anybody know what that word bondservant means? means doulos, right? Uh, it means a slave devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest, being sold out for someone else. I'm not sure if I can say I'm a bondservant to my boss. Uh, I know I can be an example to him in, in those ways, um, but I'm not totally his. You know, I have... I have uh, Sometimes I tell him I can't work when he tells me to, right? Because um, the more important things I need to do at home or, or anything else. Um, but I know who's bondservant I should be. And I think you know too. I should be a bondservant of Jesus Christ along with anyone else who calls himself a Christian. To be obedient to him. To be well-pleasing in all things to him. Not answering him back. That's kind of crazy. Not stealing from him in, in our time or, or possessions in any way and, and showing faithfulness to, to our Savior. We all probably fall short of, of those requirements, but our desire should be to be fully sold out for him every day because no one else deserves it but him. Let's read verses 11 through 15 and we'll finish up. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that we might 
that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. These last verses are really cool. How are we saved? By God's grace, right? By God's grace we are saved. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. If you're having trouble living for the Lord, focus on His grace. That He's shown you, that He's shown us. If you go get a hold of His grace, you'll be able to see everything else. It is by grace that you can do everything in life. It is by grace you're a, a father, you're a mother, you're a son and daughter of, of, of our Lord and Savior. You just fill in the blank. It is by His grace you get to sit here today or, or anything. It's by His grace. If you can do that, you'll want to live for Him. You'll want to live righteously. You'll want to live soberly, like it says. Um, it says in verse 12, God's grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And if His grace doesn't help you out, Verse 13 will, this is looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can come back at any time. That helps me uh, do good. I was always afraid of my dad <laughs> when he'd come home. Um, just to make sure I was doing good things. Uh, all he had to do was say my name and I would already be crying. Um, but our Father's coming back too, right? He, um, and that should want us to uh, to live for Him, to be a good example to others. And all these things in here, I we went over some, some difficult things, but all these things pretty much apply to us. We have to live that life that He's called us to be, to be an example to others and take those uh, opportunities that we have to, to share with others, to teach others um, about His, His love and His grace and, and all those things that, that uh, He's shown us. We're his special people, a peculiar people, different, right, from the world. Um, but we are clean from the work he's done on the cross. All, the, all those shortcomings that we have um, are washed away. Um, and from that work, we need to respond to that and to live for him and to live for him. Our, and our supreme example is Jesus Christ and how we live for the Lord, for his Father. First Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, it says this. It says, for, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was, found, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on that tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So like I said, guys, I just want to encourage you to, to uh, like the Lord has been telling me, to, to live a life that's pleasing to him. No matter what age we are, we are 
at, no matter who we are, husbands, wives, children, whoever. We, we are called to be an example to each other. Amen. And we're going to, uh, let me pray first. Sorry. Lord, we come before you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this time, Lord. And we just look to you, Lord, for for healing, Lord. And, and if we're hurting, Lord, um, for encouragement, Lord, if we're down, Lord. Um, we just look to you for all things, Lord. And, uh, we thank you for the life you've given us, Lord. Uh, may we take those opportunities that you've given us, Lord, to serve you, Lord, no matter what age we are, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for just even the words we get to speak, Lord, the words you've given us, Lord, to, to look to you, Lord, to speak. Um, we thank you for that, Lord. And um, again, Lord, we thank you for life, Lord. And I forgot to pray for the Gaten family, Lord, lifting them up to you. We thank you, Lord, for the life, the new life you've given them, Lord, and their new baby girl, Lord. I'm praying, Lord, for Marie, Lord, that you watch over her body, Lord, be with Jerry, Lord, help him, Lord, to uh, be there for his wife, Lord. And uh, we can, Lord, thank you, Lord, for that family, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. And uh, just as we prepare ourselves to take communion, Lord, um, may you help us, Lord, to get right, Lord, even right now, Lord. If we're not serving you, Lord, if we haven't given our lives to you, Lord, may we just give it to you now, Lord, in these moments, Lord, as we we sing, Lord, as we worship you, Lord. And if we are, Lord, we just um, look to you, Lord, for for forgiveness, Lord, for, uh, for just a new start, Lord, even if we're not living the life, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this uh, this time, Lord, as we uh, as we sing. Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. And just let me pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code six two six four five four three four one four. Remember that Jesus loves you.